The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. We are talking about something today which is, is really important to me, and I want to give a little background on that just to get us started. So I grew up going to church almost every week, and I, I earned, there were some years where I got the perfect attendance badge. We had to memorize Bible verses. I was in a denominational church, and I went through uh, confirmation class and catechism, and I really learned a lot about the Bible and a lot about God, and um, I was a pretty good kid by most standards. And really, if you'd asked me as I was growing up and in high school, I kind of had the idea, first of all, the, really the point of church was to get to heaven. That was, I kind of thought that was, the, that was it. But beyond that, I thought when you died, essentially what happened was you got tested on how much do you know about the Bible and about God, and if you scored high enough on the test, now, I would have never said that that's what I believed, but that's actually kind of how my faith played out. Are you with, are you with me? And so, you know, I got out of high school, went to college, and a few years out of college, I was still living, by most standards, a, a pretty good life, a pretty moral life, but I just saw this huge gap between the life that seemed to be described in the New Testament and the way that I was living. So I kind of came to a point where I kind of had a crisis of my faith when I was about 26 years old. And I really decided I need to figure out whether I'm going to truly pursue God and Christianity or, or not. I, ca- I can't keep living with one foot in and one foot out. And so um, at that time, my grandparents had lived in Salina, Kansas, and they had they'd recently passed away. So we owned this house out in Salina, Kansas. And so when I was 26 years old, I actually moved out to Salina, Kansas. I quit my job, moved out there, and I spent about two and a half months. I didn't have a telephone. I didn't have a, a television. And I basically just kind of said, God, I'm going to wrestle with you about this. I'm going to figure out whether I'm going to pursue you or not. And so I read the Bible, at least a lot of the Bible. I read a bunch of C.S. Lewis books. I read some other books that talked about Christianity. And I certainly, during that time, I came to the conclusion, yes, I believe in Christianity. I want to, I want to have the kind of life that, that God offers. Um, And so I came out of that time, and in in my very broken way, I began in in all the ways that I could to to follow God. But it's really important, it was really important at that time, like I was very attracted to Christianity because of the grace of God, the forgiveness. There's some just wonderful, there's wonderful things about that story. But the fact that it was a good story was not good enough. It actually had to be true. Okay, so a lot of what I was reading and testing was, yeah, but a lot of people don't think this happened. A lot of people don't believe the Bible is true. What about that? And so that's what I was doing out there. And, and so that idea of learning what are the reasons why we believe what we say we believe, that became really critical to my own faith journey. And so uh, Pastor Jimmy asked me to speak on the topic of apologetics. And so it's, it's just a topic that I find very interesting. I've, I've studied a fair amount. And I think that it's a topic that um, we, all need to, we all need to have some background in this. And so, uh, just so we're clear, apologetics, it's kind of an odd word. It sounds a lot like apologize. But apologetics is Greek. It, is a, it comes from the Greek, which means to defend. And apologetics means to defend the faith. Okay? And it simply means we should be able to explain and give a reason 
for if for what we believe, and uh, we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't believe for no reason. So I don't think you need to be a scholar in this, but there is a sense in which we need to be able to talk to somebody coherently and, and give them reasons for uh, for for what we say we believe. So the um, the the verse that best explains the purpose of apologetics is 1 Peter 3.15. So if you want to turn there, let's take a look at that verse. So Peter writes, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay, there's three critical things in this verse that I want to point, point out to you. The first thing is, always be prepared to give a reason. Okay, so apologetics is very biblical. We are supposed to be able to explain why we believe. Uh, and if you look, Peter, Paul, other disciples are giving, they are giving apologetics um, in the book of Acts, in the letters that are written. In fact, if you, if you really study it, the book of Colossians and the book of 1 John were largely, large portions of those books were written as apologetics to, those, uh, to, the, to the, the, the receivers of those letters. Okay, so this is a very biblical thing. So we need to be able to do this. The second thing about this passage is very convicting, and that is to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. There's, so there's two things here. First off, on a somewhat regular basis, Paul or Peter is expecting that Christians, people are going to see something different about the lives of Christians, such that people are going to be asking, hey, what is it about that guy? What, what is it about the hope that he have? Or I always think, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. What is it about this person that's different? There should be something about our lives that, are, that is different. Our priorities should be different, the trajectory of our lives, and we should be growing in those fruits of the Spirit. So when somebody asks you, you should be able to give a reason. And then the last part, which is important, they say, but do so with gentleness and respect. And that is absolutely fundamental. We are not trying to win an argument. We are trying to convey truth to people. We are trying to, and this, it is supposed to be the good news, not supposed to be the bad news. So we need to convey it in a way that's gracious and loving and frankly, we just need to view people who have different opinions from us as being lost, which is exactly where we were, and we need to have great grace for them in that. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, a couple things by way of uh, just uh, background in, in, in terms of apologetics. If somebody asks you about your faith, I think there's two things you should be able to do. First off, you should be able to tell your personal testimony. Our personal testimony, the way God has moved in our lives, is very, very powerful to people. We need to be able to convey that and talk about that. But, at least for a lot of people, that isn't good enough. So that's part of it. But we also do need to be able to wade into some of these subjects which are a little, little tougher. And so some of the topics that are covered in apologetics are things like evidence for the existence of God, evidence for the history and accuracy of the Bible. Why do we believe the Bible is, is actually a reliable document? Evidence for that Jesus was the Son of God. Evidence for his resurrection. Here's a tough one. Why, if God is all good and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, what about other religions? They say they're true. 
Those are, these are the kinds of, ooh, science, how does science interact with Christianity? Those are the kind of topics that we need to be able to, to talk a little bit about. And again, we don't have to know everything, but I don't think it's okay to know nothing about those things, right? Um, so, sometimes when you talk about apologetics, one thing that people will say is, but, oh, I don't really want, I don't need to study that stuff. Isn't it just, isn't it just faith? It's just, isn't it just faith? We don't really need to have reasons. And I want to say, what you're, what the, when, when somebody says that, what they're confusing is the, the real kind of faith that we're supposed to have with sort of a blind faith, a faith without evidence, okay? That is not biblical. That's what non-Christians think we have. We need to make sure that's not actually true. Okay, so listen to this verse from um, 1 Corinthians. So, so, so uh, Paul is writing the, the church at Corinth, and 1 Corinthians 15 verses 13 and 14, and he's specifically talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So his point here is, this is not just about it being a good story which makes us feel good. This is actually true, and if it isn't actually true, if Jesus wasn't actually raised from the dead, then we're all wasting our time. Okay, does that make sense? This is critical. So faith is not blind, and I wanna speak, for, I wanna say just for a moment, because this is something I've really had to learn. There's a lot of Christian words that have deep theological meanings that have kinda just been messed up by our culture. We don't use them, our culture's just messed them up. And, um, so this one is, faith is one of those words. So because we talk about the Muslim faith and we use the word faith as just a word for other religions. So what is faith? Easy way to think about it is when you see the word faith when it comes to biblical faith, substitute the word trust or confidence. Okay, so how's your confidence? How's your confidence in God? So you guys are all sitting in, in chairs here and you didn't really think about it, but when you sat down in that chair, you had confidence that the chair would be able to support you, right? We are supposed to rest in God and trust in God the way you're resting in that chair, okay? So, sort of funny story. When I was a little kid, just six or seven years old, we had a Thanksgiving dinner at that same house in Salina that I went to many years later. And it was Thanksgiving, there was a whole bunch of people, probably 20 people, a lot of them I didn't know very well. So they were pulling all these chairs out from closets and from back rooms, and so I had a cousin who, he wasn't even that big of a guy, but he went to sit down in his chair, and the chair totally collapsed on the ground. He just fell right down, and everybody laughed, and he laughed, and it was a good moment. So that was, one mo that was a situation where he had tried to have trust in that chair, and it was misguided. But as we learn to trust God with our actual lives, we're supposed to rest in God the way, just in this, in this same way. You guys with me on that? Okay. So, this is also critical. One thing we have got to do is we need to have the courage to be willing to express our doubts. Um, and that is, nobody has a perfect faith. And 
I think the church should be a place where we actually have the, the freedom to say, you know what, I do kind of wonder about the Bible, or I do kind of wonder, I, I, what we don't want to do is just sort of act like we believe things that we don't actually believe. So there's a couple passages in the Bible that are very powerful about this. Um, I believe it's Mark 9, 24. I'm not going to read that passage, but it's a passage where a man has come to Jesus and asked Jesus, hey, please heal my son. And Jesus asks him, do you have faith? Do you believe? And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And I love that passage because that is exactly where most of us are at some level. Now, obviously, as we mature in the faith, we're supposed to, our, our faith is supposed to grow, but it's natural. We believe, but sometimes we have some doubts. That's okay, but it's not okay not to make progress on it. It's not okay not to ask, not to learn. And so this is, and this is something I'm passionate about, so if I would love to, you know, work with you or talk to you on this. I'm sure Pastor Jimmy or Pastor Shea would as well. But don't feel afraid. Don't feel like you have to stuff those kind of questions down. This, I'm going to read one more because this is just, this is great. Um, so this is from Matthew 28. So this is right before the Great Commission. So at this point, um, the 12 disciples are gathered. This is right before Jesus leaves, uh, leaves the world for good, you know, in a physical form. So he, they've, they've been with him for three years. They've seen him crucified, they've seen him resurrected, right? So, and this is the verse, Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And again, I, I, I love that. For the, the Bible is so real. One of the great evidences for the truth of the gospels is the fact that they tell all the stupid things that they did, right? But the point is, these guys, they, if anybody had no excuse not to have perfect faith in, in Jesus, it's the disciples at this point, and they even were still having some doubts. So that's okay. But to summarize, if, if, you, only, if you only have faith or you only believe in Christianity or believe in Jesus because you grew up in the church or it's what your parents believed or it makes you feel good, what's gonna happen when things are really hard in your life or when God seems distant? So those are the reasons why we need to have some backup evidence and we need to work through these things. Okay, so that's kind of our introduction to, to what is apologetics. And now I wanted to get, I wanted to, want to get into one specific, one specific topic, which is absolutely foundational for for apologetics, and it's foundational for the Christian faith itself. And it's, it's, we're going to talk about the nature of truth for a little while. And this is a really relevant topic because our society is struggling with, with truth, as Pastor Jimmy already said. So uh, let's read John 18, verses 28 to 38. And we're reading, this is part of John's account, the Apostle John's account of the trial of Jesus. So these will be familiar words. John 18, starting at verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were, if he were not a criminal, they, 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 they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, 
Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words of Jesus, so the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the, tr- the, the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would, have, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So there's some really interesting things that happen in that passage. The first one I want to point out is in verse 28, do you notice how twisted up in their logic the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees are, where they're clearly leading an innocent man, a miracle worker, they want him to be killed, and they've actually lined up false witnesses to get him killed. But they're terribly worried about being ceremonial unclean by going into the wrong house, okay? That is a great illustration of how twisted up our human reasoning can get if we're not really focused on God and on the truth, okay? Second thing, this is really important just in in kind of thinking about tactics when it comes to apologetics. When Pilate asks Jesus uh, a question, and note how Jesus, this is verse 34, notice how Jesus responds. He responds by asking Pilate back a question in response, a clarifying question. And one thing that that we as Christians need to do is when somebody asks us a question, especially if it's a leading question like, well, isn't the Bible full of contradictions or something like that, we need to to just not take that bait, okay? So if somebody were to ask you that specific question, what I would suggest is you ask them, well, what's an example of one of those contradictions? And all of a sudden, see, asking, oh, isn't the Bible full of contradictions? That's one of those things that it sounds sophisticated. They don't know. 99 out of 100 people that you're talking to are not going to know any of the alleged contradictions that they're talking about. You, know, you see what I mean? Here's another, just, I'm getting a little off topic, but this is important. If, somebody, if somebody's talking to you about Christianity or about the Bible, and if they try to get you on to talking about Jonah and the whale or Noah and the ark, if you get off onto one of those topics, you've kind of lost. You've lost immediately, right? Because you, they can kind of put you in the, ooh, he's a weird fundamentalist. They can put you in that category. So instead of, instead of going there, a good way to respond was, well, you know, we can talk about Jonah and the, the big fish at some point, but probably it's more important to figure out if God even exists. So let's talk about that first, okay? That's a more important question, right? So my point is, don't just take the conversation, especially, and I'm talking about somebody who's kind of antagonistic, don't just take the conversation where they want to go. You know, it's important to use, to be intelligent. And if you look at what Jesus does in this situation and throughout the Gospels when he deals with the Pharisees, 
Jesus is really smart, right? And he handles these situations well. Okay, and then um, verse 37, Jesus says, I came into this world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 74 different times in the Gospels, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. That is, that is pivotal to what he's doing. He's trying to get people to live in the truth. And here's the thing. When he talks about the truth, <clears throat> you know, sometimes in our, in our world, which is so dominated by science, we have the idea that at the core of reality is atoms or corks or strings. No. At the core of reality is God. At the core of reality is the spiritual world, right? And, and so we just need to live, we need to believe that and we need to, uh, we need to think about that. So that is the truth that, that Jesus is shooting for. But the problem is, um, that's not the way the world sees it. And the, what the world, and the way the world views truth is kind of what Pontius Pilate does in verse 38. So Pilate responds, so Jesus talks about testifying to the truth. Pontius Pilate responds, what is truth? And we don't know 100% what he means. We don't know if he's joking. But most scholars seem to think that this is a cynical answer. So basically, probably what Pontius Pilate is doing is, oh yeah, Jesus, you got your story, that's your truth. And the high priest and the Pharisees, they have their story, that's their truth. What is truth? That seems to be the context for what he's saying. And the point here is, um, to Pilate, wh what matters is not what is true, but what is expedient for him, what is advantageous for him. So if you notice, if you, if you read this, this story, Pilate really comes out of this kind of thinking that Jesus is innocent, or at least mostly innocent, but he allows Jesus to go ahead and be killed, right? And he does that because he doesn't really care about what's true or what's right. He cares about, he's worried that there might be a riot. He's worried that he may get in trouble and he's gonna do what's advantageous for him rather than what's actually true. Does that sound like our culture at all? Our culture's struggling with this topic. So um, in, our, in our culture, truth is something that gets manipulated, it gets misused and mistreated and, uh, and we need to be the people just like what Jesus is saying he was, we need to be the people who are testifying to the truth with love, with grace, but we need to have the courage to actually speak the truth to people. So I wanna, I wanna get into what is the nature of truth for just a few minutes here, all right? So this will, some of this may seem really obvious, but I think this is really, really important. We just need to, have re we need to be really clear thinkers on this. So <clears throat> generally speaking, there's different words you can use, but there's really two kinds of truth that our society is dealing with. And those two are objective truth and subjective truth. Pastor Jimmy used the word relative truth, which is very similar to subjective truth. So objective truth is independently true for all people, even if they don't know it, even if they don't know the truth or recognize the truth. Okay, but it's independently true for all people, whether or not they know it. Subjective truth is a little different. Subjective truth is something that can be true for one person and not for another. Okay? 
So when we use the word true or truth in normal language, what we're talking about is objective truth. But there is, there is a thing called subjective truth. Now, I've got an illustration which, just full disclosure, I got this off of YouTube. But, uh, but I want to do this, kind of this, so play along with me for a second here. So what we have here is a jar full of candy. And just to, uh, just to answer the, everybody's, the, the question that everybody's thinking, yes, at the end, you can all have a piece of candy. So um, I'm going to put this up here for a moment. Now, you only get to play this game. If you want to play, you actually have to get a pen out of the seat back in front of you. You actually have to get a pen, and you have to write down the number of candies that you think is in this jar. All right, so there's no tricks here. And look. So everybody take a moment. What? All right. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so everybody take a minute. You can, you can sort of, you can do the square inches of the, the bottle if you want to, but write down how many candies uh, you think are in there. Okay. We can't spend too long on this, but here's the thing, though. If you don't actually write it down, you don't get to play. Okay, so I want it written down. No just thinking about it in your head. Now, before we, before we do this, can everybody agree that there is an actual number of candies in there? Oh, by the way, and, and don't, I know there's M&Ms in here. Don't give me the fact that there's a bunch. We're talking about wrappers, uh, you know, so that's the point. We all agree there's an actual number of candies in the jar. This seems really obvious, but this is important. Okay, you agree with me on this? So, everybody who's playing, put your hand up. Okay, if your number is higher than 60, keep your hand up. Okay, if your number is lower than 80, keep your hand up. Okay, still a good number. Okay, if your, num if your answer is higher than 70, keep your hand up. Oh, now we've got about, okay, if it's lower than 75, keep your hand up. Wow. Okay, if you're, so you, we're between 70 and 75. If you're between 70 and 75, keep your hand up. All right, what do you, what's your number? 74. 74 is not right. 75. No. 74? 74. Oh. 71. Oh, my goodness. No. 75. Did it, was anybody else? Wow, you guys surrounded it. Number was no. <laughs> it was seventy-three. Seventy-three. Okay. Yes, you can all have a candy out. Here's the second. Here's the second part of this illustration. So objectively, objectively, no matter what you guys thought, no matter what number you thought was in here, the actual number was 73. But here's the next question. Which one of these is the best candy? I heard Snickers. Yeah, that's my, that's my choice. But the second question, this is an example of a subjective truth. Which one is best? That could be different for Pastor Jimmy or Pastor Shay or anybody else, okay? So are we getting a little bit of clarity on what is Objective versus subjective. This is important. We're going to camp. I, want, I, need, to, I need to hit this hard. So um, some other examples of things that are objective truths, and these almost seem really silly, but they're important. To, so 2 plus 2 equals 4. That is an objective truth. Um, a bachelor is an unmarried male. That's an 
objective truth. Overland Park is a city in Kansas. How about this one? A dog isn't a cat. Is that an ob- you guys with me? That's an objective truth? Now think about that one in light of some of our current controversies we're having in our society. Now, but subjective truth, that mountain is beautiful, I like vanilla ice cream, those are legitimate subjective truths. Here's the problem. The problem is our world increasingly is saying that all truth is subjective, or at least most truth is subjective. You guys with me? And does that sound nice? Because the beautiful thing about that is if all truth were subjective, then nobody's ever wrong. And maybe even more important in, in our culture the way it is now, not only is nobody ever wrong, nobody ever gets their feelings hurt. Okay? And we do not want, to get our, we do not want people to get their feelings hurt. So we have had a real push to try to say that everything, or at least almost all truth, is subjective truth. And just to be real honest, I think that I think the reason for this is a very, very misguided attempt to, to justify some wrong thinking regarding multiculturalism and diversity and tolerance. And I'm not saying anything negative about those things, but those values, those values are important. Truth is more important, okay? So we have this huge push to make everything subjective. Um, I want to make one more illustration about this. So if you have, if there's two people trying to cross the street, downtown Kansas City, it's very busy, two people are crossing the street, and one of them is alert and paying attention. The other one is, um, he's really focused on his iPhone, and he's texting, and he's not paying attention at all. Now, the one who's alert notices that there's a button, they're right next to each other. The one who's alert notices that there's a bus out of control hurtling down the street towards them, okay? Now, what's that person going to do? Jump out of the way. Because he believes, he believes that there is a bus coming towards him. The other guy, he doesn't notice or sense the bus. He doesn't, frankly, he doesn't believe that there's a bus coming towards him. Does the fact that he doesn't believe the bus is coming towards him, is that going to help him out? Is he still going to get hit by the bus? So what he believes doesn't matter. The objective truth is there's a bus coming at him, okay? Hosea 4, I believe it's Hosea 4, 6, says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And knowledge just, knowledge is basically, if something is true and you believe it, that's knowledge. If you look at our culture, there are people who are making catastrophic life decisions, and in some cases, decisions that actually lead to death because they're not focused on what is objectively true. They're trying, and this is, this, this push towards subjective truth, we have, <laughs> um, you have one, you have, here's your choice. You either conform your life to what is true, or you try to conform the truth to what you wish things were like. Okay? And that's actually the same thing people do with the Bible. People try to conform the Bible to their beliefs rather than conforming their beliefs to the Bible. That does not work. Okay? We need to live in, we need to live in, 
We just need to live in the truth, the objective truth. So, um, <clears throat> John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And where this really gets critical for us as Christians is, is that, um, you know, the, the Christianity claims to be true in an objective sense, okay? So, if anybody ever says to you, you say that you believe in, believe in Christianity or believe in Jesus, and they say, say something along the lines of, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. That subjective, that subjective view of truth kills the truth claims of Christianity because it essentially means nobody has to come to Jesus. Everybody can just do their own thing because everybody has their own truth. Um, so, does, uh, just one example of this. Um, if you think about the statement, God exists, and when, when, I, when I say God exists, I mean a God like, like the God of the Bible, a supernatural, super powerful being. If I say God exists, that's, a, that's an objective truth claim. It's pretty obvious. That, is not, that cannot be a subjective truth claim because either, either God exists or he doesn't exist, but he doesn't exist for you, but not for me, yeah? And that's true for the other truth claims of Christianity. So we as Christians, we have got to be people who can, who can think through these issues, and we need to become very good at sort of parsing out what are the lies that are being told in our society, and then we need to be able to confront those, and it takes a lot of courage because you may get called a name at some point. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> it's one thing to get called a name. We better not deserve to be called it. <laughs> and what I mean by that is we actually need to be people who have that joy and that love and that graciousness, and we really need to care about the people we're dealing with. We actually need to be learning to pray for our enemies. I, I'm, it's interesting how many times in the New Testament it talks about pray for those who persecute you or, or, or you know, do something positive for the people who are against you. We need to actually be those kind of people. And I think if we are, you know, if somebody calls you a name for speaking the truth, that's okay. Does that make sense? Um, I'm starting the process of landing this, but this is, really, this is really critical. One of the things that's likely to be said if we do stand our ground is we're likely to be called intolerant. And uh, we talked earlier about the way the word faith, the word faith has gotten changed and what it means a little bit. The word tolerance has, has changed dramatically. So here's what the word tolerance used to mean when I was growing up. Up until I would say about 20, 25 years ago, the word tolerance meant, hey, you and I may disagree. Frankly, I, th I may think your, your ideas are totally wrong. And I may, disagree with, I may disagree with you and argue with you about them, but I fully, I fully acknowledge your uh, right to have your opinions. I respect you as a human being, and we can talk about this, but I fully support you as a person. That's what the old tolerance was. And I think that was the right definition. The new tolerance means something like, um, you may disagree, with, if, if you disagree with me, 
I have to accept what you say, what you believe, as being equally true with what I believe, okay? So I better not ever tell you that you're wrong because that might be intolerant. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between those two? It's critical. Um, so we need to be people who are willing to wade into conversations like this, willing to, in a very gracious manner, um, confront people about the, 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 the lies that they're living. So, um, you know, I think um, this is a line that I, I heard a long time ago, and I, just, I think it's really good for how we as Christians need to be people who have very soft hearts towards other people, and I, I need to continue growing in that. We need to have soft hearts, but we need to have sharp minds, too. And too often, I think we've lacked, and when I say we, I kind of mean the American church, we have lacked in really um, thinking through these things and being willing to talk about them the right way. So um, our society is, is, is fracturing, and we, we, uh, there's a lot of issues in our society that are being played out in, political, in the political world, and you see these really hateful um, hateful things going on. But it's kind of like those political things are kind of like the tips of icebergs, and you know like 90% of the iceberg is under the water. What's under the water are the worldviews and the views of truth, the views of God. Those things are not being talked about. We end up talking about these smaller political issues. Okay, so... Um, You know, the big idea is, the big idea, uh, I guess I'm getting ready, to, the big idea is, um, sorry, before I say that, Jesus, I look at the way he lived his life, and he was so gracious and so loving, but he was also really smart, and he was focused on the truth. And so, when I look at that, I want to be that type of person, and we as Christians, so the big idea is, when it comes to truth, our culture is a lot like Pontius Pilate. We need to be a lot like Jesus, okay? Let me pray for us. Dear God, Father, help us to be people who do have soft hearts and sharp minds. I pray that you help us to be growing in things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Help us to be those kinds of people, but help us also to be people who think clearly and have the courage, when it's appropriate, to talk to other people and confront people about um, the lack of truth, the untruths that they're living out. This is a difficult thing, Lord, especially in our society the way, the way it is, but I pray that you give us wisdom and courage and guidance as we live our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.